Welcome to episode 131 of Radio 815, the podcast dedicated to examining the work of writer director J.J. Abrams, as well as his greater Bad Robot universe. I'm your host for this week. My name is Marcelo Inestosa, joined as always by my fellow co host, Matt Crandall. And on today's show, we'll be talking about Fringe, season five, episode 12, entitled Liberty. So, Matt, with all that being said, I, you know, I just want to ask you, are you ready to do a hop and a skip into a universe that we've been to before? Absolutely, because with only two episodes left, you knew that they were going to find some way to get us back to the other side to check in with your favorite dude, Lincoln Lee, and, uh, you know, Folivia, Bolivia, whatever the fans want to call her. So I think that that was really smart. And obviously, at the end of last episode, I was pissed off that stupid Michael got off the got off the train and surrendered to Winmark. And you're like, okay, what is this stupid kid doing? And they take him to Liberty Island, and we find out, you know, Team Fringe knows that they need this kid because the plan is all of the assembled pieces that we have been gathering. We're making this special time machine to send Michael to 2609 so that. The observers can realize that his advanced evolution is the path that they should take to become the people they are meant to be. And in doing so, they will never end up invading our our planet and our time when they did, because they will find this next step in evolution. And so we have to find him to still send him to the future. And they realize he's on Liberty Island and that it's a fortress that's impenetrable, impossible to infiltrate. And I like that as they are realizing we have to go to this familiar location where, as I said, my ideal fringe finale would take us right back to the machine on Liberty Island and Peter would bridge the gap and wouldn't disappear. That's not what's going to happen. But we we need to go back to this familiar place, but it's so fortified that we aren't going to be able to do it through normal ways. So they hypothesize, what if we juice our girl Olivia with Cortexafan again and get her to do some universe hopping to basically teleport into this place? So I like that idea. What are you thinking as we're bringing back Cortexafan and Olivia's powers in a big way in this setup to the finale? I really like that because, to be honest, I thought the fact that Olivia was you know you know by uh by, by a long shot she was really the only super super success that walter and william bell had in it had in the uh cortex brand trials uh way way back when she was a kid she was the one that really really adapted to the serum well everybody else that used the serum got fucked up in some way i really like that we got to see her use the cortex powers one more time. And I also really like that when Walter was injecting her with the serum, we saw shades of Walternet when he was injecting the serum because after two or three shots of the shit, Olivia got all dizzy and shit. She got blind. She she lost focus of all Pete. She lost focus of Astrid and Peter, who were basically holding her down while Walter was injecting the cortex fan into the base of her into the base of her neck. And and when Peter said, you know, Olivia needs a minute or you can't give her another shot of Cortexafan, Walter really stood fast and he was like, no, 
She needs all four. Without all four, she can possibly jump and then, and then you know, you know, because the interesting thing about this this storyline is uh, since Olivia has had Corsexafan out of her system for a while, these four shots only last her for a specific amount of time. So she has to be very, very quick about what she does as she hops through these universes to get this kit. And I think that that was an interesting cork to add to Olivia having to jump to these different universes to find this observer kit. We throw a ticking clock onto the events that are about to take place because as they, and I like that they go back to like their storage facility of all the fringy stuff to get the Cortexafan and they say, okay, we're, we're going to give you the maximum amount we can, which is these four doses, because we think you're going to have to jump between universes four times. But once you start, everything has to be completed within three hours or you're going to be fucked. And so I like that we put this ticking clock on because it raises the stakes of obviously Olivia keeps looking at her watch to make sure she's doing things right. But it also means that once they start, the margin for error is very low. So we have to really hit these things in a sequence really quick. And they do put Olivia in peril early when we're giving her the Cortexafan and it's almost killing her. And I do like that, as you said, Walter is the one who's like, we have to just keep doing this. I know it looks bad, but if we stop now, things are going to go bad. And if we kill her in the process, what's the alternative? Because this is our only plan at this point. So it's like an all or nothing. We just have to go for it. And knowing that this is the second last episode of Fringe, I don't think that they're going to have Olivia Dunham die from a Cortexafan overdose. So I, I did like that we don't dwell on that too much. We get the objections from the other people who are worried, but Walter is like, this is the thing, so let's just, let's fucking go, is kind of what Walter is saying in his Walter way. And I liked that. As this stuff is happening, we do start near the beginning of the episode with Winmark talking to his boss about the importance of the child. And he basically says, look, we have examined Michael, and the reason that he these guys think that he's important is he's more intelligent than us and he has emotions. Let's fucking kill him. And so I love that Winmark is like, this guy, this kid's trash. Can we, can we get rid of him? And the boss is like, well, let's not throw him out. Let's disassemble him and study further to figure out what's going on. And that is kind of interesting because I'm also wondering does the fringe team's plan even matter at this point? Because what they want to do is send Michael into the future so that the observers can realize that this is the, the way and, and fix all this shit about the revolution. But the observers know about this kid. They know what his default, you know, anomaly is, and they don't care. So I'm I'm still kind of wondering, how is our plan going to be any different than this because the observers even though they can see this kid is smarter he has more emotions Winmark and his boss don't seem to think that that's a benefit to them and something that they should try and advance so i'm a little bit confused why we did that at the top when like does does team fringe's plan to send him into the future so that the observers could realize that was the way makes sense now what are you do you think the plan still makes sense even though the observers know all about Michael and his anomaly? I think it I think it kind of does because I think 
the time period that Michael's going to go back to is a time period where the where the observers aren't aren't it, it's possible that the time period that he goes back to he might encounter observers that are a little bit more amenable to hearing him out there is a possibility that he might show them this version of the future so they might see what they become eventually now 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 just let me say this is all hearsay i don't know if this is going to happen when michael goes to the future to possibly talk to observers out of because out of doing what they what, what they've already done in this timeline but i'm just speculating that michael could make a difference when he you know you know uh you know when he goes into uh uh the past to try and fix the future although i also i also really like how in this episode we really got to see why michael is so important and what michael can do and i really i i absolutely love that scene where winmark tries to interrogate him and michael is just sitting there and the look i've i've been ragging on this kid for about 2 weeks the look on this kid's face when he's when when winmark is talking to him he doesn't give him anything, but this kid does something really kind of cheeky and kind of like a you fucking little brat. He's like, he just he's he does something really cool with his with his eyeballs. It's like he kind of like tilts his head and flickers his eyes in the other direction. I think I think it was a really cool I I, I don't know if it was a conscious choice by the kid, but it was a really cool choice nonetheless, because I was I was thinking, you know what, this kid is like He's probably he's probably thinking this he's probably thinking that this Winmark asshole is not going to make me say anything and he also makes Winmark bleed which which is something that we've never seen before so I really like how they it, how they showed Michael's powers and then how they and then how they told us that Michael is basically the smartest observer ever because like you said he has a higher emotional section of his brain than they do I'm I'm sure you're right, and they just haven't said the year of when they were going to send him to, or if they have, I didn't clock it because I'm I'm watching this thinking if we're just sending him to 2609, this mission has already failed. But if we're sending him to like 2590, then I guess maybe they can somehow intervene. I did love when he makes Winmark bleed because it shows his power, and that that is part of the reason why Winmark isn't willing to keep the kid around for future study. He wants to just kill him. Because this kid is able to expose his vulnerabilities, which is something that we haven't seen in Winmark at all. Um, I did not think the I did not pick up the kid doing anything out of the ordinary other than just giving us that dumb, dumb blank stare that he has been for the past couple of weeks. So good on you for seeing the best in this kid who I think is still just a, hey, idiot, sit in the chair and just stare off into space. Okay, great. We got it. Next take. Um Sorry to that kid. I've, I'm kind of hard on him. But uh, I thought that, yeah, that scene with him and Winmark was great and really a lot of fun. The fun, actually, of this episode, though, is once we've got Olivia super juiced, Donald has done his bullshit getting stuff ready. It's time to do the jump. And so Olivia crosses over into the other side. And we haven't been there in so long that she gets taken in. And when she shows up at alternate fringe division and reunites with Lincoln Lee and Bolivia, that was one of the, the reasons to do, to do this whole, she has to jump plot line is for us to catch up with them. We see that Lincoln Lee 
and Bolivia have become a family. So the thing that we thought was possibly going to happen with Lincoln making his home on that side has happened. Bolivia is looking a little bit older than our Olivia, and our Olivia explains it's because she was trapped in amber for 21 years or whatever it was. Um, they don't make... Now, Lance Reddick appears in this episode early because Broyles is finally back into the story, and he still does have his aged makeup where he's looking older and they've got the prosthetic wrinkles and stuff. They don't do that really to Anna Torv. They give Bolivia a slight gray streak in her hair, but they don't make her look that much older. So even though our Olivia hasn't aged and this Olivia has aged, they don't make it overly dramatic. They don't overstate it, which I think is fine because it didn't pull me out. And I wasn't thinking like, why doesn't she look much older? Because it looks so bad on broils that I'm glad that they didn't do it to Anna Torv. Although I kept thinking Tess in the last of us looks more like what this woman probably should look like at this point. But that's only because that is actually, you know, 15 years later for the actress. And I, I thought that it was fun to see that Lincoln has kind of had as happy an ending as we could have hoped for the guy to have where he's got this happiness. And they immediately come to the aid of our Olivia and they don't spend a lot of time interrogating her. They just say, like, that's what we got to do. Let's do it. What did you think as your favorite dude returns for his his final send off in this season of fringe i look 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 i loved a lot of things about this episode i loved the interrogation scene with winmark i loved walter's insistence about the cortex fan but the thing that i loved the most is this having a having one more final chance to see lincoln lee and alternate universe olivia and the fact that they got their happy ending was amazingly cool the fact that they are essentially married now is kind of cool. Also, they have a kid, which is which is really really cool. Um, but the funniest moment in you know in their interactions to me is when they're kind of walking down the hallway. You know what I'm going to say, don't you? And um, and you know and and Lincoln is looking at our our Olivia's ass. Alta Olivia goes, "Stop looking at my young ass." That's like off the cuff. I don't know. I don't know if that was written or or if that was something that. And a tour just said or whatever, but it's such a cool line. Also, like you mentioned, I love the fact that after everything they've gone through, that the moment Olivia, the moment our Olivia shows up, uh, Alt Olivia and Lincoln absolutely trust her and they help her from the get go. Also, I liked how when they went, when they went, when they, when they met Olivia in their office, essentially, they hugged her. Because Alta Olivia, when we first met her, she was a little, she was a bitch by, by by your accounts. So so to see so to see this this relationship grow to what it's become now is just great. And the fact that and the fact that these people trust each other implicitly and just want to help each other on very very little information, I thought was wonderful. Yeah, I thought that was the strongest part of the episode that we we dip back to the other side we catch up with our old friends and we don't waste time on too much of the past with the riffs coming back we just dive in for like the fun these guys are here too let's get one hit of them before we wrap up this whole series and them helping out and taking her to liberty island and getting her to the right spot is just enjoyable and as you said that off the cuff remark is funny because yeah it would be strange to see your doppelganger 
have not aged while you have actually aged. So just to encounter a younger version of yourself, you have to address it in some sort of way. And they did a nice lighthearted joke there with Lincoln getting caught staring, which I really liked. And then, you know, Olivia is having a little bit of difficulty stabilizing as she's running out of time. And as she goes to Liberty Island, they realize that the observers have already started to do their experiments or whatever they are going to do on Michael. So time is of the essence and Olivia has to get in there and stop the surgery and whatever they're going to do as she's kind of phasing like, you know, really weird double vision because she's seeing both universes overlapping. So it's a bit of a struggle for her to get that final fight to get to Michael. But I like that, you know, ultimately she gets there, takes out the people, grabs the guy, and then there is an assist by Lincoln and Bolivia to help get her out there in those final moments where she almost gets got by one of the observers. So I like that we get everybody involved. And by the end of the sequence, Olivia has brought Michael back to our timeline. And as long as they don't ride any trains, hopefully this will be fine. Yeah, look, look, um, the final sequence when Olivia is going through the hall to get to Michael is really interesting because like you said, ever since she's ever since she was given those four injections of cortexophan, her vision has been all over the place. She's been walking around with double vision since moment one. So to see her walk through the building once she jumped back to the proper universe and get Michael, it was just great because as she was walking down the hall, she was seeing people from from her universe and from this universe. So it's it it it, it was really a catch twenty two. Like 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 when she picked up that gun and she saw the observer guy, but for a split second she saw somebody else. I'm like, is she going to shoot the observer guy or is she going to shoot the other guy? So I was re- so I was really riveted just watching that sequence because I kept thinking, oh, she's going to fuck up, and if she fucks up, then what will happen? Is she going to get stuck there or what the hell? So for me, it was very very uh, 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 it was very very tense watching her go down the hall, had that final uh, fight with the observer, like you said, and eventually get Michael and bring him back to our timeline, so you know we can do whatever we're gonna we're gonna do in the last hour of Fringe here. I do want to I do want to address a point that you brought up. Um, you mentioned a little earlier on in our episode that basically when Mark wants to kill him, right? You mentioned that. And you also mentioned that Winmark's boss wants him to be studied, right? And Winmark's boss says something very interesting. He goes, okay, uh, well, let's not kill him. Let's take him apart. And I'm like, um, excuse me. I don't know. I don't know how, I don't know how you, I don't know how humans work, but if you take him apart, isn't that like killing him? Like if you physically, no, just go with me here. If they physically take him apart, how are they going to keep him alive? I'm, what, what I'm trying to say is taking him apart is just like killing him. So I'm like, what? Like, so what's that about? Either, either you take him apart or you kill him. There's no in between here. So am I the only guy that was thinking that? I think you're getting hung up on the wording because I think what is actually being said is when Mark is saying, let's dump this kid in a fucking ditch as soon as possible. And the other guy is saying, Let's kill him, but let's take him apart and see why he's different. So, like, he the kid dies either way. It's just one, they they do the research, and one, we stick him in an unmarked grave and get rid of him as soon as possible. So I think that is what we're actually dealing with rather than 
the observers having some sort of technology where you can robocop a dude and take him completely apart and he's not dead. So I think that that's just we don't have time to explain the the details of what they mean. But I do like that in these final moments here, Winmark, once Michael gets taken by Olivia, Winmark's like, how the fuck did these assholes know where we had this kid? How could they ever have known? Now, it's a little bit frustrating to us because, of course, the big bad guys are holed up on Liberty Island. That's just a fringe staple at this point. That's obviously where they were going to go. But Winmark is not knowing that. So he's saying, we got to have a mole on the inside who told them. And they realize we do. And his name is Philip Broyles. So Broyles is in a little bit of hot water by the end of this thing because the observers now know that his allegiance do not lie with the observers. He has been a double agent and his training from Edda has kept them out of his mind. But by the end of this, setting up the finale, the observers now know that Broyles can't be trusted and that he's actually working with our team and they're going to have to do something about that. So I like that we escalate that situation and I'm glad that we brought Broyles back into the mix in a big way at the tail end of this episode where he's going to have to hopefully, you know, team up with us for the big finale and not just spend all of his scenes this season with those bald fucks. So I like that we can hopefully have that become a thing. Uh, The only other thing I want to mention is that the episode ends with Donald having put all of these things that we went on the side quest for to build the device. Donald puts it all together and wah, wah, it doesn't quite work the way we wanted it to because one of the things is faulty. So he goes to an apartment and December opens the door and he says, Hey man, I need a favor. And he steps into the apartment, closes the door. So we still have another task that we have to get done before this machine is going to function the way we want it to. And any, fans of fringe will realize when he closes the door the apartment number is 513 this episode is 512 of fringe the finale is 513 so this is literally closing the door until 513 letting us know that like the the big shit is about to come so i thought that was a a nice way to end it even if i was frustrated that donald assembled this thing and it didn't work yeah uh you uh you mentioned broils uh just a few moments ago the um one of uh another another thing about this episode that i really loved um and you know and this is all circumstance because uh the wonderful actor lance reddick is not with us anymore but i loved i absolutely love seeing broils again i really really did there was something so special about seeing him again now knowing that he's not here with us anymore unfortunately so i really hope i I don't remember i honestly don't remember i really hope that he has a big part to play in the finale and that he doesn't die because if he dies it'll 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 just suck but but i can't remember if he he does or not um i i I thought it was really cool that while while our while our main fringe team was dealing with what they were dealing with trying to get michael back that september was essentially in the lab building this device that they're going to use to send Michael to wherever he needs to go. And the fact that this device doesn't work properly and then causes September to go to December, the the observer that had the feelings for that little girl in that great episode that I loved, but you hated, uh, for if, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, uh, I, you know, I just think it's really cool how, 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 how they brought that 
how they brought that storyline back because in that episode, uh, September did December a favor and he lied for him. So with that history, it makes sense that December would go to the one observer that owes him a favor because he can't go to anybody else because anybody else is going to kill him. So I, so I really love how that worked in that specific way. I'm sure when they did the episode with December, they had no idea that they were going to do what they did in, you know, in, in 512. But regardless, regardless of that fact, it still works really, really well. And also, like you just said, I love the fact that when uh, uh, December closes the door, it says 513. So, so that's like, that's like a, that's like a warning light that says, okay, guys, the finale is coming and it's coming now. Yeah, I think that was really cool. Wasn't it August who was the observer in that episode yeah, with the girl? Am I, yeah. No, am I saying it wrong? Because it's a different uh, guy. Did, it, it is? Yeah, it's not this guy. It was a different guy who fell in love with that woman and wanted to save her. Oh, damn it. It is a different guy. Damn it. I, I thought, what? Why Because this guy's kind of guy? like this chubby, bald old man, and that guy was like a slender. Yeah. younger guy but the, yeah but the thing is the 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 reason why i'm wondering the the reason why i possibly got confused is because september says that you know you owe me so that's how i made that that leap but i'm like i, I could be wrong no i think it's just the i think it's because he's one of the originals because you know that original 12 oh. all have names that are months of the year and, oh, okay and they and, are not the ones guys- who did the invasion so i think it's just December has been around and he was in those episodes, but he wasn't the guy who fell in love. I'm pretty sure that was August. Uh, you, you mentioned, you mentioned something that I didn't pick up on. So September and August, they're part of a section of observers that didn't invade. So are you telling me, this is, this is one of my mind right now, guys. Are you telling me that there are two factions of observers? How did I miss this? I think they, and this was part of my problem is that they didn't establish this very well. The first observers that we got to know were the 12 scientists and they were the ones who came here for research to just witness and observe, but they were not what we assumed was that they were like the entirety of their civilization was just these 12 guys, which was not the case. They are from this horrible civilization of you know, these people who are power hungry and they just happen to be the 12 good ones. And then we have learned that, no, the rest of them are awful. And that is why they came back. So that was my big hang up at the start of this season that has only become slightly clear as we've started to establish what made the original group of observers special and why the observers didn't become evil right off the bat, which has been my main complaint that it hasn't actually been made crystal clear but they have found a way to slowly dole this information out so i believe that the original 12 that are all named after months of the year are the the scientists who are benevolent who are doing that thing and the other people who have come since are the evil maniacal people and they these two factions don't line up with their ideology so they don't work together which is why like december well, he might not be on like a, a watch list like Donald is, September is, he is sort of laying laying low and keeping things low key. And that's why September says, you know, you owe me because they have done a lot of stuff together that we don't know the full extent of, I feel. How did I, how did I miss this? How did I not like, like you just said that it wasn't, expo- well, 
was it explained in like one piece of dialogue? Because I'm like, huh? Yeah, I must have I must have been sleeping for that episode because because I don't because because I don't remember them making any specific mention to two different sections. Well, I must have been asleep. They have they haven't. So so they haven't explicitly said it. We always in that like exposition dump where we find out who the observers are before they go evil. September just says he was one of the 12 and whatever. So it's only through that. And now that we know that September and Donald are the same person where we can start lining up like, okay, these scientist guys aren't on team evil observers, but it's never been explicitly said, but it's just like the the subtext that starts to rise. The more we learn about why Donald is here. So it's only in the last couple of episodes that this is kind of, and it hasn't been explicitly said, but when December shows up at the end of this episode, I'm thinking, okay, it's not just September who is not on board with these evil observers. It's all of the original science team. All right. So Matt, uh, with one episode left of fringe ever, what do you, what do you want to see? What are you looking forward to in the finale of fringe? Oh, we will have to see. I'm everybody knows what I want to see. I want the reset to take us back to the end of season three and just have Peter bridge the gap and everybody is happy and nothing that happened after that season three finale beyond has happened. And yes, Etta can exist later, but it's not like she magically appears as that five-year-old in a field, even though I know that that's the end that we're working towards is that day in 2015 where the observers show up, they don't show up. Because even though this is our Peter and Olivia, because Olivia got her memories back, I hate that all of that season four stuff that I didn't like is still going to remain part of the reset canon. I want that all gone. Because even if we go back to there, then Walter doesn't have the Walter memories. But we also, I'm interested to see how Walter, knowing that he said last episode he has to sacrifice himself for all of this to happen, how Walter is going to fit into everything once the dominoes are all put into place. So I'm eagerly anticipating it because it has been 10 years since I have watched the finale of Fringe because I didn't love it the first time. So I'm interested to see if it plays different at all because so far in these 12 episodes of season five, it's been a lot of stuff that I still find to be bullshit. But if you dig deeper, there are entertaining moments and some things that I have enjoyed more than I thought I would and others that I liked less than I did back then. So I'm, I'm interested. What are you hoping for the finale, Marcelo? Yeah, look, look, it's, it's no secret. I've seen fringe more times than you have in, you know, in, 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 in the pervading years since the show ended. But every time I watch fringe, like, like I watch a couple of seasons here and there and I've never really finished the show from start to finish until this rewatch. So I'm looking for one really, really one thing or two things to happen. I want Winmark to die and suffer in some, in some, you know, Quentin Tarantino death or something, which is not going to happen, obviously. But I want him to suffer. And secondly, I would, I want Peter and Walter to have one more touching, crying, emotional moment, which I think will happen. Um, ultimately, I. I'm not going to lie. I do know how Walter plays into the the final hour fringe, but I'm not going to reveal any of that. I'll say that for next week. Um, but ultimately, look, like you, I had a giant problem with this season and what they did with it. I've, we've talked about it ad nauseum. I won't 
say that. I really liked your idea of of sort of you know throwing out all this other bullshit what they did with Peter in season four. Like like I I I I didn't like that either. So I would love for them to reset the clock back to season three when Peter was in the machine was in the machine. But like you said, they're not going to do that. So I just hope what they do. I just hope it doesn't piss me off because because the road to get the road to get where we the road to get to where we're going to go has been really frustrating ultimately and i just want a hap uh, a somewhat satisfying ending to one of my favorite tv shows of all time um and uh, and with that being said guys uh that'll do it for this edition of radio 815 listen guys if you like the show at all and you want to reach out to us or or tell us how awesome we are, there are a couple of ways that you can do that. First, you can reach out to us on Twitter by just simply using the hashtag Radio 5 You could also reach out to us on our personal Twitter account. It's JJUniverse815. If you want to talk to me personally, you can reach me on Twitter. I'm at CrickFanatic88. But Matt, if the folks at home want to reach you, what would be the best place for them to do that? If it's still working, it hasn't gone down in flames by the time you have heard this on Twitter at Matt Crandall is the best spot. Otherwise, just hang out on Letterboxd. I am uh, at MDC 3000. All right, guys. And I, I just want to mention if you love the show, but you don't necessarily know how to use a podcast platform, we are on YouTube. Our YouTube channel is youtube.com slash Radio Five. You can uh, go over there, subscribe, and listen to all of our backup episodes over there. So that's another option. But I just want to say thank you very, very much for listening. And until next week, as I say often, we'll talk back soon. Radio 815 is a Balloonhead Productions presentation in association with Killer Newt Productions.